Hello, and welcome to the first episode of the second series of the Not Drinking Poison podcast. My name is Aaron Ayskoff, and uh, this evening I'm here with my friend Oliver Lomelli of Chambonoir. How are you, Oliver? Good, good. How how everyone? Thanks for reminding me here. Yeah, I'm sorry for the horrible sweltering heat wave. Due to the constraints of podcasting meant that we had to close all the windows and turn off the fan, and uh, we'll probably be stripping naked sooner or later. (laughs) At least we have some nice wine. Exactly. Make sure the wine stays cold. So the first uh, the first series that we did of the Not Drinking Poison podcast uh, was focused on Paris natural wine lifers, the dinosaurs, uh, if you will, of the natural wine scene in Paris. And for the second series, I was hoping to talk about natural wine in Paris today, to juxtapose what we've spoken about with uh, our six previous uh, interlocutors, with new conversations with people working really at the vanguard of natural wine in Paris today. For those of you who are not familiar with Chambre Noir and Oliver's incredible work, it's a fairly fast-moving and dynamic enterprise, uh, wouldn't you say? Yeah, definitely. (laughs) Correct me if I'm wrong, but at the moment, uh, your Chambre Noir empire uh, presently encompasses a wine shop on Rue de la Folie Mericourt in the 11th arrondissement, a wine bar uh, on Boulevard Jules Ferry. Is that the... 10th or the 11th? 11th. That's still in the 11th arrondissement. And a wine bar in Many Montant. Yeah. And more recently, uh, it's only been open, what, two months now? A, a month. taqueria. One month. Yeah. Uh, a fantastic taqueria uh, right near the Église de Saint-Amboise called Furia. Also in the 11th. Also in the 11th. So the natural wine kingpin of the 11th. Yeah. Oliver Lomelli. I'm, I'm going to try and ask some basic questions, because, I mean, Oliver and I go go way back at this point. I guess we probably met in 2013 or so, I want to say. Yeah, a while ago, for yeah. sure. My first memory of Oliver was back when you had a Chilango. Yeah. Yes. It was a cafe called Chilango, and uh, you did a tasting with our friend Jerome Balmé. Yeah, definitely. Uh, who's a Beaujolais winemaker, who's still making fantastic wine. He Jerome. did a release party of his first... Vintage. Yeah, that was his first? No, it wasn't his first vintage. It was second vintage. I know the first one was uh, 2013. Okay. Really? Okay. Because I I remember seeing his wines, Pierre Jean Coup had some of his wines at one point, Mm. right around the same time, and like his early vintages had like skulls on the label, I think. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. It's been a a wild ride since then. Pretty much 10 years. And you were were already into natural wine at that time, obviously, because you you, you you invited uh, Jerome to come present in a Mexican-themed coffee shop. Yeah. You are originally from Mexico. It's probably interesting for listeners to know, how, how did you get to France? Um, I'll try to be as short as possible, but I just, when I turned 18, I took my backpack and um, I took a... Swam the Atlantic. Yeah. yeah. It was my, the first time I took the plane. Yeah. And it was to come to France. And then I, the idea was to find a school, film school, while I was traveling, and and actually I registered in a um, university in Lyon. Even though if I didn't have papers, I just I kind of find my way to to register after several tra- tentatives, and uh, I did. And then I just went back, did my visa, I came back to France, uh, and it was basically just like the idea just to see something different, and and if I like. Maybe I said, like, uh, I'll stay. And this and is what happened. Where in Mexico are you from originally? I'm from Mexico City. Okay. Mexico City, yeah. And then did you speak French when you arrived in France? I took, like, maybe f- before leaving. That was back in 2004. I took um, three months before taking the plane. I took uh, intensive courses. And I was really committed mm-hmm. to learn the language. So when I came... Like a I, CIA operative. <laughs> I, I didn't speak super well, but I remember like to find my way out, like with my rough uh, French I had, but mm-hmm. really fast I, I pick it up. You didn't pick up a Lyonnais accent. No. <laughs> <laughs> I think the strongest Lyonnais accent I, I can think of is the Beaujolais winemaker Jan Bertrand. Okay, cool. Yeah. For, the, for, those of you, uh, for those of you unaware of what a Lyonnais accent sounds, sounds like, he's got a really strong one. Yeah, it's, it's very endearing. So. You studied film in Lyon, and then 
was it in Lyon that you discovered natural wine? Or where would you say you discovered natural wine? I discovered natural wine. The first time I opened a place was back in 2013. It was in Paris. I finished my studies in Lyon. Then I, I did my uh, master's degree in, in Toronto. Came back to France and, and then I decided to move to Paris. Mm -hmm. 2013, I, I, was, I opened a kind of concept shop where it was gallery coffee shop. What was it shop. called? En face. En face. Okay. Yeah, that was so the like first. In front of. Yeah, yeah, basically. And we're just selling Polaroid uh, film, cameras, um, coffee. Uh, it was a gallery and depot vents. Yes. Where like creative people just leave the stuff. We took like a margin of. 20 to 30 percent, mm -hmm. whatever they sell, and and then we had like people doing glasses, ceramics, t-shirts, all kind of things, and I remember one day was a, a guy walk in around four o'clock. He said, "Can I show you the wines?" And I said, "Like, look, we don't really sell wine here. Some maybe some for some events or uh, openings like vernissage." Mm -hmm. But we're not really a place to sell wine. And he said, sure, but maybe you want to try it. And I said, okay. He looked like kind of cool. So I have to say that the... You're keeping us in suspense. Who was it? Jerome Valmet. Oh, great. Okay, nice. Yeah. <laughs> so it was this, this winemaker. Yeah. And then I, I drank and we started like tasting the wine at around 4.30 maybe. And for the first time in my life, I drank wine for hours we stopped maybe around three in the morning so this is a, really a true Beaujolais experience yeah was, I, I was <laughs> I was definitely my Gamay Beaujolais yeah and after this experience you'd say whoa I never experienced this feeling of joy but also like not being drunk really but being conscious but joyful and the magic of Gamay yeah yeah completely yeah. and then and then I was like whoa okay I'll buy 60 bottles. Yeah. So I bought 60 bottles from this guy. For me, at the time, it was super expensive. Yeah. And I remember the price was 6 euros per bottle. And I was like, wow, this is crazy expensive. But <laughs> I like the guy. Yeah. And I remember we didn't even sell it. But every time I was just, I just wanted to drink a bottle. Yeah. So then from that moment, I just said like, wow, this is what I want to drink mm -hmm. from now on. Yeah. This is how I discovered. And then nice. you, you, like everyone. Once you, you get these, yeah. it becomes an obsession. Mm -hmm. What's interesting there, because Jerome Balmain, do you remember, do you remember, so another time that you and I met, uh, notably in the past, was back in 2015? Yes, I right remember. before Harvest, I want to say. Was it before Harvest or yeah, it after? Was, it was, was before, yeah, before, before it was Julie, Julie Balami, right? No, 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 it was, no, no. It, was, it, was, it was in the middle of Fleury at the, at the Nocturne. Yeah, okay, yeah. yeah, yeah, true, true. Back at that time in 2015, you know, I was I was hell bent on writing this book about the Beaujolais that ended up becoming the world of natural wine. I was trying to go see all the kind of the legends of the Lapierre era of of natural wine at that time, you know. And they were everyone was always talking about trolls. The notion of trolls. And what the kind of the older natural winemakers of the Beaujolais and their children called the trolls at the time, those were often people who fit like Jerome Balmet's description, which is newly installed winemakers who had either long hair or long beards, and who had set up more recently and were making more radically natural wine, which, you know, that it, it was basically, it was a marker of a generational schism within natural wine. So it's interesting that, you know, mm -hmm. like the introduction was via the trolls. Yeah, true. Yeah. 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 And I mean, I think it's interesting too, in light of your career in Paris as well, because I really feel like the success of Charmant Noir, it really marks a generational schism within natural wine as well. I think these days the haters have mostly shut up. But, <laughs> but I mean, I mean, I, I remember like, you know, back in 2015, there were people been like, oh, Charmin Noir, that's a vinegar bar. It's yeah, a vinegar we, bar. <laughs> we were called a vinegar bar. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. That'd be a good name for a bar. Yeah. yeah. I, <laughs> no, I like it. Yeah. <laughs> so when did Charmin Noir first open? Because you, you got, you moved out of Chilango, right? And then when did you first open something called Charmin Noir? I had a problems with the guys from Chilango. It was... Um, we, we were three partners and what I wanted to do, it was, uh, yeah, focusing more in wine, coffee, and we had beer and 
and also like uh, pastries with Valentin, you know, like yeah. fermentation generale and all this. And they were not really into that and just at some point just didn't work out with us. So they offered me the spot next to Chilango. The, just some people, random people were visiting. So other owners or the same or no, other partners? Owners. So other owners. So they were like, oh, yeah. you seem nice. Have this place yeah. right next to you yeah. for your former partners. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I actually told them my partners if they wanted to have it and do something with it. And they say, no, man, this is just like I would like to do a wine bar. It mm. was really clear for me. And they didn't. So at some point I said, okay, well, I'll do it by myself. So I did. That was back in 2015. Mm-hmm. But at the time, I didn't have. Uh, I I went to an illegal situation where I was. I had no papers, no money. It was even my my girlfriend at the time. She broke up with me and didn't even have a place to because live. Because you had no money. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and then I was like really really down, like really deep down. And I say, well, I would like to do this project, but I don't have money. And since I don't have papers, I don't, I cannot get money from the bank or anything. And just uh, at some point, something happened, and there was this guy who was investing money in a coffee place, in a, in a called Cafe Tech. Mm-hmm. Seems like a guy with really loaded, in a I, way. I know Cafe Tech. Yeah, Cafe Tech was the really kind of. The, the tip of the spear for craft coffee in Paris. Yeah, yeah, you could call and, it that. And like I was, in the, I was in the two thousands. I worked there, and I was. You worked at Cafe yeah, Tech. I, I worked at Cafe Tech and all these. Oh. And I was actually working like teaching as a teaching to become a barista. I did not know you were that into coffee. Back in the day, then I understand it was not my thing. Okay, but it was it was definitely a part of this sensibility to wine. Yeah, because I went really deep into coffee, and then I just understood that. It wasn't my thing. I didn't mm-hmm. want to go further. Yeah, and then I just switched into wine. That's, yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a common trajectory. It's yeah, a, in a way, like, yes. Yeah. But then just like wow. our, our friend Nico from Telescope, uh, <laughs> similar. And many others. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, actually, it's funny because all the barista uh, people I know they're like switching into wine now. Maybe mm. after like ten years. Someday, maybe we'll go back to coffee. <laughs> yeah, probably. Yeah. And uh, yeah, and then just like I asked a guy who was investing on like a fintech. I said, look, I have a, a super idea to do natural wines and to have a natural wine bar, and uh, and I need an investor. And this guy said, how much are you talking about? And I say like twenty, twenty grand, twenty k. And say I think let's go check the place and and I'll tell you what I think. So when we went visit visit this spot and. Say so you okay? I I think I think could something interesting yeah. can come out of this. Mm-hmm. So um, I told him, look, what we can do? You give me twenty k, and I'll give you twenty percent of the company. But uh, he didn't ask me how much I was putting in this project, and I didn't have any money. Hmm. So with this twenty k, so fairly fairly well negotiated. <laughs> I mean, not that I have any experience with this. Yeah, so with this 20k, well, the person, he actually has a coffee shop, which is uh, Beans on Fire. Oh, really? Same guy? He's the same guy, yeah. Cool. I go there sometimes. And and then he he invested this money, and after after maybe 10 months, I mean, really quick, I knew there was something happening there. You know, I saw the people, even though it was like uh, not really understanding the wine, but we had like a good vibe, and I say, well, something is happening here. So after maybe 10 months, I offered him to buy his part mm-hmm. out. So he was happy. Yeah. I was happy. But I, I built a place from scratch Amazing. with no money, yeah. no nothing, you yeah. know? And it was like event after event. Mm-hmm. This is how actually Chambona became famous because I didn't have money to pay people. So I was something that now it became like a thing that inviting chefs mm-hmm. that is like pop up of this one week here and this. Me, I was doing that because I didn't have money at the time and I was just inviting them for a week at a time. And it, it's funny because at the time no one was doing this. Yeah. And I did it for the reasons because I couldn't pay people, mm-hmm. you know. And now I see so many wine bars uh, to, to having like chefs for two weeks, one week and all this. 
yeah, I mean, it dovetails with the wanderlust of young chefs, mm. and, and, and the fact that they're in demand everywhere on earth. It really dovetails with with these phenomena. Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, for me, it was like super exhausting to do that because you have to change products, menu. You have to communicate with everyone. So at some point, I said, like, well, I need to stop that. But it was it was really fun. I get to this is how we got get to know people get to know us, and then at some point. Uh, I knew I couldn't handle this project. I was, uh, when I bought these guys' parts out, I needed someone to, to be part of the project. And uh, at the time that I was building this project as well with, uh, unofficially with uh, Jaime Canical. Yeah, and so he was your longtime partner in Chambre Noir from what, what year until what year would you say? I think I started in 2015, and I think uh, he jumped in in 2016. Um, I don't really remember when, but from the beginning, yeah, from the beginning he was helping me to build this project. And you knew him from Lyon or from? No, from no. from Paris. Yeah. And actually, it was Remy who um, I was kind of uh, we were brainstorming about the name of the place and my idea was because I was uh, I studied filmmaking I wanted to be related with filmmaking mm -hmm. and we were uh, brainstorming in Telescope Cafe mm -hmm. and at some point uh, which is the coffee shop of our friend Nico that I just mentioned who is really into wine absolutely a great wine authority as well and who is also a photographer just to give listeners the backstory here yeah, yeah great guy yeah, amazing yeah and um, and Remy came up with uh, Chambre Noir, which means dark room where yeah, you course. develop pictures. Yeah. And I say, wow, I like it. And he say, I like it too. But at the same time, it was not like, it's, uh, I'm not sure because it's like noir. And maybe people think that we're doing something like uh, Maison Close or something dark or something. And, uh, and I said, let's do something. If we don't come up with a better idea in two weeks, we keep Chambona as the name. And after the two weeks, we didn't find a better name. And uh, The rest is history. <laughs> and so, and so, and then Remy recently left to become a winemaker in Throm. In the yeah, Throm. he, he, he left yeah. during the lockdown just a few days before. So 2020 would it be? Yeah, yeah. He, he, he knew he was going to do that. Mm -hmm. But that was, the, he, had a, he has a family estate in the Throm, is that mm -hmm. right? Yes. Yeah. Uh, he so wanted to go he back. And his partner are now fantastic natural winemakers down there. Uh, yeah, yeah. Both have a beautiful project called La Ferme du Passeur with uh, Caroline. She's also she's from the States. Yes, yeah. And uh, and Remy, who is from from there, La Drôme. Mm -hmm. So uh, they both have like olives and wine in a beautiful, beautiful place. And Remy also did the sculptures. Is that right? Yeah, because yeah. yeah. I mean, one of one of the I mean, Chambre Noir has many kind of. Uh, I would say iconic design features, you know, like, uh, and one of which is, has been like sculptures built into the support walls, <laughs> or carved from the support walls. Yeah, which is forbidden. <laughs> yes. but, but it's beautiful. Yeah. He's super Illegal calm. yet beautiful. Yes. <laughs> In a way, yeah. This is how I, I would present the project of Shamona. Yes. And then he, he was, he, he, he was um, officially the uh, president, president of the company. Because mm. I couldn't be a officially the president, I was illegal. Yeah. Then once it was official, like he, well, he didn't drink natural wine, so I introduced him to natural mm -hmm. wine, but he was just like, well, he was allergic to sulfur, like really allergic. And, uh, and when he found out that he could drink as much wine as he did, he was unstoppable. Yeah. And, um, and then we developed this project together in a beautiful way. Because we travel all around France and all mm -hmm. the, the the tastings. At the time, you know, like people weren't traveling as much as we did in for a for a business owner. Mm -hmm. We were all the time it's, traveling. You know, that's it's something I've noticed too. Like honestly, like I had I you know, I, won't, I won't name the business owner, but like I remember speaking with someone who like all his life has been in Paris, restaurants, born in bistros, always had restaurants, and this guy who's like older than me says to me, you know what? Never been to visit a vineyard. Never been to visit a vineyard. Weird. And the, guy, and the guy's got natural wine at all his places. You know, and like, you know, more than one Paris establishment. Astonishing to me. 
but I mean, that's a, that's a that's a, a real Paris restaurateur thing, isn't like yeah, yeah, like they didn't need to put in the effort. Now I think so. it changed after confinement. People decided to go visit the winemakers, and now it became like a like a thing. It's also, I mean, it's also, I mean, I think social media has helped that as well. Like in the fact that like natural wine is a smaller world of wine. You know, like it's a much smaller world of wine. And then when we talk about the extremely radical natural wine, it's an even smaller, smaller world of wine. And in this very small, small world of wine, you do kind of need to go get these allocations yourself. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah. And then, yeah, and th that was funny because well, we were seeing more importers. Every time we were traveling, we were seeing importers from Japan, Denmark, uh, United States. But it was really rare to see French people you know visiting the, the winemakers that was that was crazy because we did it i think we started in this change uh this transition of of wine, natural wine in paris because before it was like the established places it was more like a restaurants and we were more like a wine bar and we decided also to give a fair price what we consider like cheap so young people could actually drink natural wine for me that was really, really the big like thunderclap of what you guys did for the paris natural wine scene in the sense that it felt like from like one year to the next the the entire youth natural wine market was at chandramar like all of paris and you caught flack for it people made fun of you for it but you definitely brought a whole new generation of parisians into natural wine um and new generation of, of tourists as well And new, you know, and new generation of professionals, I would say, at this point, too. You know, there's a lot of people who've gone through Chambre uh, Noir and have started their own businesses since then. That really, really impressed me, like, when, you know, witnessing it from, I want to say afar, because I was down the road or across the street most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> But, like, uh, that, was, that was really impressive for me. I mean, I think in a lot of what I've written about Paris natural wine world, the French natural wine world, I wanted to be really sure not to come across, like, some fly-by-night tourists. And so I was always trying to, like, basically cover my ass by making sure that the old geezers of natural wine didn't hate me, hmm. you know? So, I mean, and I mean that applies to winemakers as well as to uh, restaurateurs. You know, natural wine has been around in Paris since the mid-80s, really. And so you do have, like, real... Gatekeepers is a very buzzy word, but you do have people who are, like, a bit gatekeepery and who have a certain style of restaurant. Hmm. You, you could call it, like, the opposite of... Chambonnoir, if uh, your Chambonnoir places are known for like not being reservation kind of places, places you can kind of just roll in, eat some small snacks. The snacks are often vegetarian, if not always, and very light cuisine. Whereas, particularly like the 1990s generation and the 2000s, early 2000s generation, you'd call it maybe the pre Jean Coup era of natural wine uh, in Paris, was very like sausagey in both. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know the misogynistic aspect and also and also the cuisine aspect uh, completely yeah 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 but definitely was um as uh, at the time i wanted to to go to places but it was I, i mean you need a budget to to drink natural wine and also it was not always my vibe just to be sitting drinking wine you know mm. just like with three guys and just spend the yeah. whole night sitting and crammed in like sardines at this little bistro table with like mm. a ton of beardy dudes drinking yeah. wine and eating sausages some <laughs> yeah once in a while it's fun you know but yeah but it was not my my way of yeah. drinking wine and uh we wanted to 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 when was chambonois the first one was uh, uh you is a counter you enter the door this big counter where people are standing up drinking and sharing bottles They were all sharing bottles. Uh, it was not expensive. Mm -hmm. I mean, not too expensive. I mean, just it was okay price, you know, like cheap for at the moment and still like we're cheap. And people allow themselves to share wine to everyone. Exactly, yeah. Even when people you that whole, they you a whole know. bottle, yeah. Yeah, and then it was just like uh, super casual, people having fun. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because um, it's been a couple of years already that I've been, I mean, since maybe 10 years, I, I'm not vegetarian, but I'm not eating a lot of meat. Mm -hmm. And uh, I decided to do it like really completely vegetarian. Oh, but not completely, because we have anchovies and sometimes mm -hmm. some fish, but that's it, you know. And what I realized also, there was the aesthetic point 
the wine and the food, that it was really light. And then our customer, it was a lot of girls in a way. Which does help to bring other customers also. <laughs> yeah. I find. And also, you know, like the girls is like, wow, they're, they're, they're maybe more sensitive to alcohol, to digest alcohol in, in a way with natural wine was uh, sim simpler to digest the alcohol. I mean, for everyone, but it was, I think they were more s sensible for that. Mm. And it was, sometimes you could see the crowd, it was maybe four guys and 30 girls. I mean, I was, I was struck the other night, the first night I went to Furia, which is maybe like a week and a half ago, here in New Taqueria. It was me and my friend Joe, and I think there was maybe one other guy, and everything, everyone else was a young Mexican girl. Oh, really? And literally the entire rest of it, it was a packed house. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny, because it's, it's still like the, the thing... I didn't realize there was such a strong Mexican subculture in Paris. Me neither. To be honest, yeah. it's crazy. And, um, you're you're going to be like an ambassador one day. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. It's politics. I'm not <laughs> there yet. But yeah, just at that time was bringing these new people, yeah, young people mm -hmm. drinking wine. And speaking of less emphasis on extraction within the natural wine world, um, stylistically there are extractive winemakers within the natural wine world, but you'd say, yeah, globally speaking, there's less emphasis on extraction and I think insane alcohol levels. Yeah, I yeah. think, you know, the, this... This is something that I just um, end up myself doing all the time, just like naturally, because I was basically at some point of my life drinking every day. And um, I kind of like wines. I was always going for the the bottles that were like less alcoholic. Mm -hmm. So basically under 12 degrees, so it was something... It's always hard to draw a hard line on it. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, yeah. it's not. It's not that I'm. I'm not against uh, more alcoholic wines or whatever. It's, it's just I was. If I want to keep the night drinking, yeah, yeah, I have to. Yeah, make sure it's not too alcoholic. Mm -hmm. This is one thing, and another thing is, yeah, it was. It's super simple to digest. You can. You can by experience. I. I know that I can be drinking from I don't know 11 a.m. to three in the morning if. And not being hammered, mm -hmm. if I'm um, if I'm drinking like low alcohol wines, mm -hmm. so this is one thing, and it was also an, an economic model for sure, because you know instead of, I mean, if the the wine is not expensive, mm -hmm. you you drink three bottles. Two people can drink three bottles. Yeah, definitely. You know? I mean, that's yeah, that's and, definitely phenomenal. And then, uh, in the weird, like saying, wow, we actually people are enjoying more, they're buying more. And mm -hmm. we are making money, yeah. And then at a certain point, you also went into uh, importation and distribution of a lot of Central European, German, and Central European wines, right? Yeah, we... And when, 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 when did you start that? We started in 2017. And was that specifically because you were looking for the alcohol wines, or was that you just met some good, nice people? Look, this is... Um, no, someone made us taste Brand Brothers, German Brothers of Natural Wine. It was their first natural vintage was 2016, mm -hmm. and uh, we tried the 16 in 2017. Okay. We drank that, Remy and I, and it was like, what the fuck? We never tried such a thing before. And then we finished the wine and the bottle, and we were super excited. Yeah. It's like, wow, this is amazing. We never tried such a thing. We want to keep another bottle. And so we bought... I remember the first order we ordered, we bought like over 300 bottles and then it was something that really didn't exist in France to have white wines, low alcohol, really mineral and with, a, uh, with an expensive, you know. So this thing that you said that in France is mostly red wines is true. The no, white no wines, it's not that, it's more, I mean, I mean, I wouldn't say it's that, like in the, in the sense that where can you find high acid white wines in yeah. France? Sometimes in Anjou these days, Jura, obviously, Burgundy in some vintages, uh, you know, like so certain parts of Chablis, but these are, none of these are places where you can get much cheap, well-made wine anymore. 
Um, that's for sure. Like Alsace, Alsace sometimes, but again, it's like riper and riper there too. It's yeah, like, and if you, yeah. all the regions you're mentioning are like, if you see the degree of alcohol, it's like 13, 14, I don't know. You know, yeah, like yeah. sometimes yeah. less, of course, but you don't have like the light white wines. It's true. So, it's it's so like it's, they're, they're almost extinct in, in France. Yeah, and also if you think, if we talk about price, it's like, well, if you have mineral, low alcoholic white wines in France, how much they cost. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah, there's quite a few. I mean, but the thing is, almost nobody really makes them. I mean, at the same time, it, it's an interesting discussion because, I mean, there are some, some things, like sometimes I'll have something from Central Europe and I'll be like, that's, that's just underripe. It's fine. It's well-made, clean, um, but it still feels like it's in a little leagues of something, you know, mm -hmm. because, of course, if you've got nice acidity, you don't have too much sugar to ferment, you're going to get a cleaner fermentation. You can make nice, clean, easy digestible natural wine you know but do we do we blame producers for not reaching for the stars a little more you mm -hmm. know that's that's what it comes down to because of course it's perfectly delicious to have like a nice you know 10.5 degree fizzy thing that is clean pure mineral know, exactly like you know it's actually it's sort of it's almost its own beverage it's like you know it becomes a chocolatey kind of thing you know like, yeah you know, no, no, like, <laughs> it's crazy you know and and what it happened you know to answer the question how we become importers and all that that we knew that there was something that didn't really exist in a way in, in France. It was, or not easy to find because we were traveling around and it was, it was not easy to find yeah. these kind of wines. Definitely. And the thing is that the customers wanted a white wine, you know, more, yeah, more exactly, and more. Yeah, and yeah. it was like, fuck, what, what yeah. am I going to serve? You know, they want an, uh, white. now it's orange, but uh, at the time it was like white. Yeah. So yeah, it was, we, um, we decided to go see the, the, the brand brothers in Germany and we it took us time to convince them to to be the importers of really? uh, yeah because we had to go two or three times before <laughs> they decided to work with us at the time we were just only a wine bar you know yeah. we're just like random dudes today mm -hmm. it's impossible to to represent such uh, winemakers if you're just like a random wine bar you know it's like really difficult well, because I, mean, I mean, I think they they probably knew that they were sitting on a cash cow for somebody, you know, in the sense that like they've got a lot of land, mm. and they're smart, dynamic young guys, you know. Mm. Yeah. But we we were unknown yeah. in the game, yeah. so but they didn't really know how friends work. Yeah. So um, after many times we we tried and all these, they said, well, okay, let's give it a try, let's see if you guys can work with our wines, and basically we. We say we have to prove these guys that we can sell the wines. We're, we were not really networked with the restaurants, really. A little bit. And we didn't have like an infrastructure to deliver it, to do all this. Yeah, that's a huge pain in the ass. Yeah. So then, <laughs> then basically what we, what we did at the beginning was let's sell as much as we can in our wine bar. Mm -hmm. So basically, this is, you, you, you remember very well, I think, when you say like, okay, there's a transition of Chambonat selling German wines. And this is when we started to sell a lot of German wines. Self-dealing, they call it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and it was super funny because uh, people were like, uh, we have to even change our speech because back in the day, when you said like a German wine, they said, no, 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 not, not a German one. I don't want to yeah. drink that. It was just like, even they said yeah, but you, guys, they do, you, guys, you guys just went for it and you made it happen though which is really impressive because it's like it's not easy to get over just your basic parisian aversion to something that's not french or something that's not, not something they've tasted before yeah you, know, true. you have to really go for it yeah. yeah yeah and it was like even even they were like uh, no german wine they just didn't even want to understand it was no so then we just decided to that the people just decide by themselves and we said like you want to try this the red the white by the glass and so oh, i love this fill up the glass yeah. what's this it's german it's, it's german, german. It's, <laughs> do they make wine germans they yeah. make wine it's like yeah, yeah fuck yeah they make yeah, wine. not a lot of cultural exchange Still, yeah it's, it's funny yeah. and then even and then we started like importing we started with brand brothers and we started with marto mm -hmm. bird cluster and Vagant. And then we follow on, but even before they understood what natural wine was, the German producers, I'm, I'm telling you, we were selling, we did a, a few fairs and we said, guys, we only want to represent the 
zero zero wines because they, this has been our politic yeah. since the beginning always uh, zero zero wines and they were like and by that you mean zero sulfites zero filtration no manipulation no additives no manipulation whatsoever no irrigation yeah <laughs> yeah no irrigation <laughs> yeah there was like the purest expression of of the human and the grape and then we told the guys like they came, the German producers, to Chambonnet, I remember, and they was like, whoa, in Paris, people drink wine like this? Which just also for them was like, whoa. Yeah. And they, they saw a wine bar like Chambonnet, we're selling yeah, maybe... Full, you know, yeah. Maybe a hundred bottles per night, you know, mm -hmm. which, which is... For a small place. For huge. a small place, yeah, yeah. and for them, it was just like, whoa. Yeah. It was like another idea for them as well, and they said, okay, maybe, maybe we're doing something wrong. And many changed to zero zero wines after mm -hmm. that. I mean, for me, it's like watching you guys, it's like perfect synergy in terms of you and the generation of smart natural winemakers that you're working with throughout Germany, you know, and that you guys are the perfect showcase, you know, showroom for what this can be. And, you know, you can demonstrate that this can be done in a, a gracious and beautiful way. Whereas, you know, what you see generally around not just Germany, but Central Europe as a whole. I mean, dealing, it, dealing with it in the Czech Republic these days is like, people are terrified of working without sulfites. Really terrified. And it really helps to bring them to some place, you know, speak the same language and show them that you okay. can make it work. Yeah. Also for, um, I mean, we know that Paris is this show, showroom for the world in terms of wine and for other things as well, but... If you're established in Paris and you do rudeness. such a thing, yeah, if you wine, wine and social rudeness. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that 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 means something for them, you know, for everyone. It's like, oh, my wine in Paris, okay. I mean, you know, it's like something, it's something going on. Yeah. It's, it's it's Paris, you know. It's the effect of Paris. And the thing that we we we've been doing this in Paris has speed up our development mm. on, in terms of, of of our business in a way. And then, yeah, at some point, people just thought that we were doing German wines and fine wines, which is not true because we continue to be super engaged with the French producers. Yeah. But naturally, the the, the fine wines took like it has like a big demand on on those wines for the reasons of they were making basically a lot of white and orange wines and also the right light. Uh, light light red which today basically when you do when you're working in a wine bar you should have a white mineral an orange light red and sparkling so basically all of those they make a lot of those in yeah they make yeah. a lot of those uh, so among, among that you know, generation of germans they make a lot of those yeah yeah, yeah and when i'm telling yeah. you also about like business wise you know that you, a bottle of those you can you can sell you for a table, you can sell three bottles of those, and yeah, they, yeah, exactly. Just knock them back, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And versus and, one bottle of Bordeaux. And I'm not saying that the, I mean, French, French is doing a beautiful, France is doing a beautiful work, but it just developed so fast because France was lacking of this category of wines that we we had it on the foreign wines. So our distribution company developed like super fast, and then we went to almost over 20 producers yeah in the in our portfolio and also because we were like traveling everywhere even in austria all the wine first before people do it from france to being really engaged we took really great producers like really yeah amazing producers and then we developed like this this project in a, in, in a way that do you sell elsewhere in france or just paris elsewhere yeah yeah because i imagine there must be demand elsewhere as well yeah for sure yeah. yeah i mean a lot of the producers we work with they have like two importers one from the south and one from or we might be the only ones but yeah uh, anyways we sell the we sell a all the allocations they gave us, mm. basically. So this is really good. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so this is basically like the, the, the story about the distribution. Important. And then moving on from Chambonnoir history to say the, the vanguard of natural wine in Paris. For you, what are your favorite places to go? If you, if you do, 
you know, you're often probably sick of wine, but when you go out to drink a glass of wine, where do you like to go? I mean, it's definitely, it's funny because I definitely relate more to the bottle shops mm -hmm. than to the restaurants. I, I understand that, yeah. And Maybe it's because we're cheap. Yeah, cheap, but also it's a brother. <laughs> I like to drink casually, you know. Yeah. I don't like to drink so much in a table. I mean, in a table, of course, but it's just when like... When people start talking to me about food pairing, I'm like... Yeah, shit. Spoiled. <laughs> so I have to say that the, the places I like the most and the people I get along with the most uh, are owners of bottle shops like uh, Rock Bottles, Yeah, Oliver, from England. In the 18th. In the 18th. Yeah. We have uh, Delicatessen, which is a great bottle shop doing a fantastic work, which is really a few minutes yeah. away from Chambonois. Yeah. And then La Liquiderie is also like yeah. another like few minutes away. We're, we're a little spoiled in this corner of Paris because like it takes like a, one block to walk to like another place with a fantastic yeah. selection. Yeah. And, and these guys are doing a fantastic work. And even like myself, when we're, I was like, I'm, I mean, I'm super engaged, but when I see the, the, the work they're doing, it's like, wow, I'm really honored to mm. be here because I know it's the best competition in a way that you can yeah. have because if you don't do much work, these guys are like just, yeah, they have, it's like super impressive. And there's also the, the, the my mentor, it's Cru et Découverte. Of course, Mikael. Mikael. Yeah. It's a wonderful guy. Which I enjoy a lot because he's a guy who really humble which uh, really introduced me also many producers i love and with patience absolutely yeah. and knowing that also i was kind of broke he was um, selling me wine cheaper and mm -hmm. making me discover like uh, many so to give some more backstory on creative career this is a, a a wine shop that's existed since i want to say 2002 or 2003 maybe 2003 um on rue paul bert um which is a pretty famous uh, street in the uh, 11th arrondissement. And Mikael Lemal is the owner and operator. He's still there every day, basically. It's a tiny wine shop, totally overstuffed with fantastic, almost mostly zero zero wines. Um, he's not, he was really like the first wine shop that really began to focus in a majority way on those kind of wines um, and still does to this day. Um, so like a really one of the earliest supporters of Griot and Olivier Cousin and Auvergne, all the region yeah, in Auvergne. Course, yeah, is, yeah. Uh, yeah. If we're uh, for me, and I think for us uh, working in this industry, it's an institution where yeah, definitely where you just know that it's someone you respect for. He's really thoughtful. Yeah, you pose him a question, and he will sit there and think about it and respond thoughtfully. Hmm. He's never in a hurry. He's never. You know, he's never trying to just sort of like fob you off on something easy. He actually mm. will, you know, genuinely think about anything you don't need to ask him. Yeah, yeah and also he, he, he likes to share. So, of course, he before he was displaying all the bottles of Daniel Sage, Jean-Yves Perron, all the, all the, now that they became like, wow, we want. And he's always there to share, to sell it, just keep on one speculation, but. Yeah, he's, he's not, he's not super, about that. Yeah. yeah. It's a, it's a great guy. So th this is the people I, I relate the most. And where I go, um, I mean, I was yesterday at Delicatessen. Mm -hmm. I also enjoyed at some point some wine places that are really close by, like Darbolet, but it's more like a restaurant. Yeah. But yeah. Um, the, 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 great, the greatest misconception you know, <laughs> of all of Paris is people yeah. think Fiddler Fairbolet is a wine bar. Yeah, true. <laughs> yeah, I go more like to wine places. Wine bars and and he developed like something to go, uh, which is developing and I'm this is where I'm going towards that this direction is to do more like a bottle shop with a cork fee, because then you can drink even cheaper. You can the cava manger. The cava manger. Yes. Yeah. So which here you became more like a cava manger is a wine bar. We're going back to the future now. <laughs> yeah, true. This is this is really where we're we're going. Inventor of the cava manger in Paris. <laughs> But yeah. now what it's Cava Manger, well, in Paris, it's Baradin. Yeah. Uh, because yeah. the prices are like... No, no, I mean, there's still a couple there's a couple here and there. I mean, but it's true. Like, I would say over the last, you know, the, the big trend over the last 10 years has been the disappearance of the real Cava Mangers mm. in Paris. Because natural wine became a different market. You know, it became so many more people interested. People ask... Also, just the... I'm not saying this is necessarily the, what happened, but 
you could, one could argue that one of the reasons why the Cava Manger template worked for natural wine at the, you know, from the very end of the 90s to the, you know, throughout the 2000s, you know, was it really took a lot of work to get people on board with these wines at that time. And so people were willing to put in that effort doing a little food service in their wine shop. And I think now that it takes a little less effort to sell these wines, people are like, well, might as well just become a restaurant and jack up the margins. You know, like... <laughs> yeah, true. I'm, I'm actually trying to do the opposite. Yeah. Because this is the places I like to go. Yeah, so no, that's true. I mean, at a certain point also, when you, when you spend so much time with vineyards and going to travel around wine regions, you're like... You're like, am I really going to go out and pay restaurant margins in Paris? Even in Paris, where it's relatively cheap to drink wonderful natural wine, you're still Completely. like, God, I've got so much wine at home. I've got so much... Like, <laughs> yeah. That's why, I mean, I mostly go out to drink Micheladas these days. <laughs> like, <laughs> Bigger size. Yeah, just, I mean, yeah, tomato juice and beer is kind of... Yeah, not true. <laughs> but at least this is the places I like to go, and I'm, I'm sure the future will be in terms of natural wine, because we understood something is that our capacity of drinking natural wine is bigger, way bigger. But we didn't understand that we can sell the, the wine cheaper, you know, in a way. Right, I mean, there's, yeah, there's, there's a lot of vested interest there. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, yeah. We can, we can, I mean, for me, it was like, okay, if, if I understood this, my, in an empiric point of view, it's, um, we, if we don't have so much cost of labor, of employees and all these, we could have like a bottle shop with some snacks that people just can buy. You don't have a chef and then just, you just pop bottles. And this is, I think for me, for me is the future. It's idealistic. It feels like the general trend is that people are charging more and more for this stuff. Yeah, true. For sure. Because people are willing to pay. And also what we have in Paris is like a tourist city. Yeah. Where who who are the the tourists of the wine places? It's people from New York, people from Copenhagen, from Denmark, Sweden, people from England, people from China, Japan, and all these people are are accustomed to pay much more for these same bottles. Yeah. yeah. So for them, if you it's say, already cheap, even if you mark it up three times. If you say like yeah. this is forty euros a bottle, well, it's, it's like, okay. like I'll take two. Yeah, just yeah. I understand it's not much for them, and. And we're selling even less than that, you know, even less mm. than 40 euros. Of course, I mean, that, that's, that's sort of the conundrum for the Paris restaurateur, is that how do you satisfy both a local and a foreign clientele when you're trying to negotiate between two different economic worlds? Completely. And it doesn't feel very good as a restaurateur when you're, when you're like, only, you're clearly marked as like a tourist place. Like, then the, even the tourists stop going. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, I don't want that, you know. Yeah, I, I, I don't it's, want it's, that. It's, it's a really, it's always a fine line to walk. It's like, and I mean, that's one of the the master strokes of the of, of of successful places in Paris that are like for the long terms that they manage to negotiate those two worlds. Yeah, yeah. this is the thing. Yeah, I want to ask you one um controversial question, and I only, I only I only bring this up because we were talking about the Brand Brothers. I guess this would be easier on video, but you know, like. The Brand Brothers, uh, on some of the bottles, they have stickers that say, like, shake it and wait, or, like, shake it or turn it upside down. Or, mm. Like, uh, also, I think Milan Nesteretz had some of those like that in the Czech Republic as well. And it's something that one sees from time to time, really, particularly in, in Central Europe. And, uh, and oftentimes we'll go to wine bars these days, and you order a bottle of natural wine, and someone will turn it upside down and put it back side up before, before opening it. Are you, are you for or against this practice? It really depends on the wine. Mm. It really depends on the wine. So you think uh, if the wine is labeled as such, you should do it? No, no, no. I, I actually don't really do it with Brand Brothers. Mm -hmm. I actually, to be honest, I like to taste the wine first. That's a, yeah, that's before a very taking, good response. Yeah. Before taking any decision, because people like to... Yeah. Before they were shaking a bottle, you know, like... Shh, if there were like a little sparkling, it's like, yeah. hey man, do it on your glass, but yeah. don't do it on the bottle, you know? It's just but, like... I mean, that's the thing that at one point was happening systematically at Le Baratin, for example. Yeah. Um, and it drives me out of my mind is that you'd order a bottle of wine, they'd bring it out in a carafe already, and they'd shake the living shit out of the carafe. Yeah. Me, I, I, I really... I mean, you know, like, I've been working with people, and sometimes they say, that oh, I'm a sommelier, whatever. And just like to, I don't know, justify that they're sommelier. 
they bring they put your wine in a carafe yeah, and exactly. me, it's like, hey man, please just bring me the bottle. You can keep, I can keep the carafe on the table, and yeah. I'll decide. Exactly. And yeah. I'll decide. Yeah. So um, I think it's for me the approach of wine. First, you taste it how it is, and then you decide. And me, what I do if I want to do a manipulation, I do it on my glass. Yeah. And then, then I'm not just taking everyone to my aesthetics of wine, you know? In yeah. A way. Um, so when they say shake and wait, you I shake think... The, you shake the glass and wait. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Me, I don't do it. Yeah. I don't do it. Uh, sometimes, sometimes I do it specifically for the, the people that want orange wine because the leaves are on the really... On the bottom. Yeah, and settle. And then it will bring the color. Well, I mean, it won't give more color. It'll give a different texture. The color, the light will reflect differently. Yeah. Yeah, but to be honest, it's, for me, it's, this is not like um, it's not it's not for me a big subject as long as you don't do it when I'm drinking a bottle. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> when you're doing it for other people, you don't give a shit. <laughs> I mean, if they want to do it, just like yeah. okay, I just say, guys. I feel like it's it's something. There's sort of a, I think it's a little bit of um self-defensiveness from the part of the person serving wine. I understand that the reality is in the marketplace, generally with the great swath of even relatively informed wine clients, people think that if a wine is a little spritzy, that there's something going wrong, mm. um, which I think is a massive misconception in the wine world. And I mean, ultimately, I think young natural wines should always have a little CO2. Oh, that's like, that's like, it's like a sign of life. This is the most yeah, beautiful it, it, for me. It protects them. It's it's a heartbeat. It's a you know like if it yeah. bothers you, you swirl your glass and it goes away in thirty seconds. You know it's like. But people are so afraid of that. And people are and even servers are afraid of the of the clients and the clients not understanding and then having to spend more time at the table, you know. And so they they freak out and they and they shake the shit out of it first. Thereby putting all kinds of micro leaves in a suspension, exhausting the CO two, oxidizing everything prematurely. It's just like. Oh, it drives me nuts. Yeah, yeah, me, me yeah. the same. This is something I was like, whoa. But usually, people that do that, I, I think they do it more because they want to show to people that they know about wine. A little performance, a little yeah, violence. Yeah, kind of, it's performative violence versus wine. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. it's more like about that than to actually. Yeah. What's Here's this thing: wine. you just spend a lot of money on. Not look, I'm shaking the yeah, shit yeah. out of it. Like I'm. <laughs> You're like. Yeah. But what's yeah. beautiful is that. Um, what I've seen is like more and more people are really trying to understand, to get deep on this subject, to to drink, to learn, to enjoy, and it's, it's been expanding so fast. Mm -hmm. I'm super impressed, and also like with the winemakers, their techniques, their the wines are cleaner from back in the day. The, the young kids, twenty years old, they're talking like. Like they, they actually know the grapes, the regions, and it's like, wow, this, this evolves so quick. So at the end, I think it's really bad things going on for sure. But in the overall picture, I'm, um, I'm quite enthusiastic about, oh, yeah. about things. I'm, yeah, I'm, uh, me too. And I think with the... Uh, it's the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Natural wine is for the children. Well, thank you so much for, yeah. for, for, you know, for joining me on this hot as balls apartment and uh, talking with the windows closed and the fan off for a while. Yeah, yeah I'm we sweating. Can finish this conversation and put our clothes back on, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers, man. No, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Thank you, man.